This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. Uh, listener, you might be hearing a little bit more. I think it's. I think you can hear this room a little bit more now um, <laughs> because we have moved a lot of stuff out of it that was previously absorbing sound. Um, Mostly books. Yep. This is, you know, at most we'll have two more after after this episode uh, recorded in this basement. Maybe just one. And then we are moving on to the uh, the new and improved podcast studio at uh, at the new McCabe Crypt. So very excited uh, about that. But if you can hear a little bit of echo in my voice, um, that's why. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be taking next week off, which is very rare for us to to fully take off. But with everything going on, and also a, a trip with family. That's right. We on are the books. And where are we going, Carrie? Italia. We're going to Rome, the home of our old friends Nero and Caligula. Well, your old friends. You know, the, <laughs> the greatest artist. The what an artist the world is lo- losing, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, go back to our worst Roman emperors uh, series very recently for uh, for more on them. But right now, Carrie, we're talking about Rael and the Raelian movement. So, um, what do you remember from last week? By the way, listener, uh, this is as you saw from the episode title, the second part in a two part series. So, um, if you haven't listened to last week's, it's a lot of context. I mean, you're probably not going to understand anymore, but yeah, it's a pretty weird. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty weird story, no matter how you slice it. But you might have at least a little more context if you start with last week. Uh, Carrie, what do you remember about Rael? Well, he was a guy named Claude who sang French songs. Claude Vorion. Yes, and he uh, sang under the name Claude Cele for yes. a little while. And uh, then he opened a, well, not open, he started a racing magazine. Yep, uh, Autopop. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he met an alien on top of a volcano named Yahweh. Uh, yes, uh, at the end of uh, their long conversation. Oh, it wouldn't be until their next meeting that the alien finally revealed his name was mm. Yahweh. But uh, at the end of their conversation in which this alien revealed the secret history of the human race... To Claude, who would forevermore go by the name Rael, mm-hmm. as the aliens commanded. Um, this being revealed that he was uh, 25,000 years old and was the president of the Council of Eternals yeah. that had uh, first made the call to seed humanity on the Earth. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so Rael has some some business to take care of now, uh, thanks to his alien friend. And what was that business? What does the alien? Oh, you want? know the the typical spread the word sort of situation. Start a movement, amass followers. Yeah, and uh, turn humanity into the uh, scientifically advanced super race that we were always uh, meant to be. To, sure. To inherit the uh, the creator's uh, advanced scientific knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, the book was not an overnight success, but for Rael, it was now Grind 30. And <laughs> okay. And he would do 40 speaking engagements over the next two years. Um which sounds like it's like a speaking engagement every couple of weeks, but, yeah. But you have to imagine at least at first nobody really wants to hear. <laughs> he's just he's just showing up and telling people about sure. this stuff. Um, <laughs> the, the you know he has to lay the groundwork for himself. Um, but almost as a mark that he was really serious about this, the last issue of Auto Pop, which had never achieved the massive international circulation he may have been hoping for, was published September nineteen seventy four. And also in that year, Rael founded MADEC, M-A-D-E-C-H, um, which is a French acronym, so this doesn't quite work, but it stands for uh, Movement for the Welcome of the Elohim, Creators of Humanity. Mm. Mm-hmm. That group began publishing a newspaper called Apocalypse. You say group. How many people are banded together with him at this point? Oh, I think at first dozens, but uh, I mean that's a lot. Yeah, but pretty it took it, us a while to get to dozens of listeners. And it sounds like into yeah, I think it's safe to say we're talking about dozens of people in this first year, but maybe slow, maybe pretty quickly expanding to hundreds. So people, I mean, there are some followers. There are some people believing what he's laying down. Yeah, well, it's like we talked about last week. It does have a kind of appeal for people who maybe find it hard to fit uh, like mystical religions into the modern reality that we're looking around at, Mm -hmm. Uh, but don't really get the satisfying answers that they want about where we come from and what the point of all this is and where do you go after you die? Uh, Where do we come from? Where do we go? Cotton Eye Joe. Where do we come from, Cotton Eye Joe? uh, Rednecks are the only ones who have the answers. (laughs) Uh, N-E-X, uh, the band. Modern science still hasn't furnished us with uh, with what Rednecks did all those years ago. And so that's why uh, I could see this being attractive for some people. Although, as we talked about last week, I don't know that this is... There's a lot of talk in Rael's books about stripping mysticism out of the whole religious thing, right? He's like, this is, there's nothing mystical about this. You can tell it's all real because I'm talking about cloning. I mean, it's it's extraterrestrial. It's just a another thing to swap in right and there's no evidence for any of it so it's not particularly scientific in in the sense that i understand it requires faith on on the followers part yes so and we'll get into it there's 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 a heaven and everything so so the idea that it's not mystical stretches credulity for me um but in any case MADEC, uh, regardless of its size in that first year this uh, fledgling organization a couple dozen people already descended into um, what I'm now starting to think of as classic ufologist backbiting. Mm-hmm. Just like nobody can decide on what's real and what's fake. Everyone accuses each other of being fakes. No one can decide um, how much of the UFO phenomenon they should be dedicating themselves to. Honestly, it's very much like the punk scene. 
like who's who's legit, who's, who's sold out, yes. who's a poser. And so Maddock, I it was a pretty popular time for UFO groups to be starting the mid seventies in Europe. And so Maddock attracted both true believers in Rael's ideas who were starting to kind of put together the underpinnings of a brand new atheistic religion. And again, we can debate atheistic or whether these, this 25,000 year old alien who created us is a God in a sense named Yahweh. Hmm. Um, but it also just attracted run-of-the-mill UFO nerds who were like, oh, this guy saw met an alien. We got to talk about this. But we also should be talking about all this other UFO stuff that's happening. And so there were voices in the group calling for a broader focus that got louder and louder with dissent in the leadership, ultimately culminating in an April 1975 emergency meeting. Oh. That uh, I mentioned Susan Palmer, the only social scientist who's ever treated this group as a Serious area of study, as far as mm-hmm. I can tell. Uh, and again, thank you, Susan, for that. She says that there was this April 1975 meeting that basically Rael called everyone together. Emergency meeting, big problems in the group. We have to stop the schism that's going on. And he just dismissed everyone who was in charge. All of the executive members of the group were fired and kicked out. And then he replaced them all with people specifically loyal to him. Aren't all of these people loyal to him? He's the head honcho. He's the head honcho, but it's kind of a democratic organization within the group that that elects who the leadership is and not all the leadership. A lot of these people are just here for UFO stuff. They're not here to... to, They don't need a new religion. (laughs) They don't necessarily believe everything Rael's saying that the alien told him, but they want to talk about UFOs. Interesting. And so some of those people end up on the leadership council and Rael goes, ah, this whole thing's not working. So he's basically like, no, this is about me. Well, it's about the Elohim. And in Mm. his second book, Rael also mentions this emergency meeting, but he characterizes this as reforming the organization. He's like, I realized I had set it up wrong from the beginning. Because what are we doing democratically electing leaders? We're we're trying to create geniocracy on Earth. So uh, that old leadership was illegitimate because they were elected by all of the members of Madak and not just the smart members. (laughs) okay and then he organized a new system that got just the people he wanted into power it's bold it's a bold move it was around this time and one perhaps could read into this as an effort to consolidate power after that uh you know pretty schismatic time in this in this early group's early history rael suddenly announced that the creators had returned and had taken him on a trip in their spaceship and he had seen their home planet. Do we have a name for the home planet? We don't have a name for it, but uh, he would immortalize this journey in his next book, Extraterrestrials Took Me to Their Planet, which he published in 1975. <laughs> Straight to the point. Um, and people were into that. People were like, oh, another trip? Really? Tell us all about it. And there was a new leadership in place, but tension kind of stuck around in the group. There were still always going to be people, people going, I, I remember how it used to be, and I, I, I wish Madek could, could get back into all that other UFO stuff. And finally, Rael would disband the group altogether in 1976, and at the same time, start the Raelian movement, his new, um, you know, atheistic religion which had obviously had a lot of the members of maddox so it's kind of like that ben folds five song um citing artistic differences the band broke up in may and in june reformed without me but they got a different name hmm. mm-hmm. 
I think this is what's going on. It's with very Ben's Fold Five. The Rielian movement. He's sort of a Ben Folds of the uh, of the <laughs> mid century. Well, I I'm sure those words have never been said about Rael before. As he tells it in the book, extraterrestrials took me to their planet. Now, remember, the first book was just the book that tells the truth. So he loves a straightforward title. Mm, well, brevity's the soul of wit. In October 1975, one night, on October 7th of 1975, after he and his then-wife Marie Paul had moved to the countryside, Rael says he felt the need to go outside. He didn't know why. He didn't know where he was going. He just stood up and said, I feel like walking. I feel like I have a destination. I don't know where it is. He walked into the woods for an hour. It's a very popular thing in UFO experiences to be suddenly compelled to go outside in the night. You know what else is? Huge balls of fire in the woods. And Obviously. That, and that is what Rael came upon. And he says that uh, he first noticed this ball of fire behind some bushes. And he, I think he at first thinks the bushes are on fire, which burning makes, bush situation. makes us think of the burning bush, which, of course, Yahweh revealed to us in the last episode that was actually a spaceship touching down to talk to Moses. Mm. Rael approached the ball of fire to find the same craft he had seen two years before and the same green-suited alien man standing next to it. Yahweh announced that the previous visit had all just been a test. Okay. Because this time he wasn't wearing a spacesuit. He was wearing like green clothes. He didn't have the same onesie on. And there was no little halo of light around his head like he had a helmet on. And he says, listen, I'm sorry I, I fibbed last time. I don't really need a spacesuit. And also, my ship doesn't even fly. That's not how it works. But, uh, you know, I just had to show you things last time that would go along with everything you believed about aliens to protect your puny brain from, you know, breaking. Mm -hmm. And then he reveals the other lie he told the last time, which was that Rael couldn't travel with him to his planet. As oh. Yahweh now beckoned him in to go for a little ride. Hell yeah. He invited me to sit down in one of the two chairs, settled into the other, and asked me not to move. He then pronounced a few words in an incomprehensible language, and I seemed to feel the machine rock slightly. Then, all of a sudden, I felt the sensation of severe cold, as if my whole body were turning into a block of ice, or rather as if thousands of ice crystals were penetrating all the pores of my skin right down to the marrow of my bones. It lasted a very short time, a few seconds, perhaps, and I felt nothing after that. Then my companion rose and said, you may come, we have arrived. Is this like the smart car of spaceships, like there's just room for two people in it? Um, no, I think he described a room maybe 20 or 30 feet across. Okay. Raya left the ship to find he was in an even larger room that the ship was now sitting inside, and the alien man asked him to go into the next room and take off his clothes. Which, this is, nudity is also very typical in an alien abduction mm -hmm. scenario. Rael uh, describes himself walking nude down a long hall with uh, different colored lights shining on him. Mm -hmm. And finally, he reaches a room with a fragrant bath. Oh, that sounds nice. He doesn't mention if there's a rubber duck or it's just a bathtub <laughs> in the middle of the room. He, uh, he's like, I'm already naked. I might as well. He jumps in the bathtub. He takes a nice bath. Oh, by the way, when he enters the bath like room, the room with the bathtub, a voice, a disembodied voice tells him to take care of all of your needs. 
Uh, okay. Which is, or your personal needs or something like that. So he's like, okay. He uh, takes a bath and then the voice comes back and tells him to drink the tall glass of white liquid that has been sitting on the counter this whole time, mm. which Rael does without questioning and then uh, says that it's delicious and tastes like almonds. Oh, almond milk. You know what? That could be that could be the kind of first drabs carry of the technology of the Elohim finally reaching us. This oh, is yes. almond milk. It, it wasn't around in the 70s. This is proof of Rael's prophecy. And it's also proof that lactose intolerant exists across the universe. Rael next rejoined his guide and two other similar looking aliens. So remember, they look like people. They're a little bit shorter. Um, I, I think they were described with like golden skin and dark hair. They, are, they all have long hair. So they have tannish skin, dark hair, long, and they're short. So they're Italians? <laughs> like they're me? What do you mean? <laughs> well, you you know, you you are the center uh, of, of my world, Caroline, and uh, it's only it's only right. Okay. That's why I'm telling you this story because I thought you would uh, you would find these people so uh, relatable. I thought you'd see yourself. <laughs> so he rejoins these three aliens in a hundred meter wide transparent dome. Like a clear glass dome, and everything outside it is just blackness. But inside, he says there's a ton of art. I'm not sure where it's hanging, because there don't seem to be walls in this room. But he says there's beautiful art everywhere he looks. It's like the new Knives Out movie, Glass Onion. It's got the, the art everywhere. Yeah, Edward Norton was there <laughs> as like a disaffected billionaire. Um, and there was music filling the air. He describes it as organ and musical saw sounds. You know, sounds spooky. And he says that it quieted down whenever people spoke, so that you could hear the other voices in conversation. Which is a a feature that I wish more bars had. Mm. Um, but b it reminds me of the annoying thing where your car's stereo gets louder when you gun the engine. Yeah, annoying to you. To me, it's a space space age technology. It's been around since the 90s. It was annoying then. Oh, please. So after that, Rael's guide offered him some wisdom that he, I guess, had forgotten last time they talked. And he says, all right, look, bro. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> you must be. He says, look, bro. First of all, you misquoted me. Last time you said we were going to come and kill humanity if they didn't shape up. And uh, we're not going to do that. Okay. So that's good. And he says, look, it's more like the Buddhist cycle of reincarnation. <laughs> where if humanity chooses violence instead of genius, it will be knocked back down to prehistoric times again. By itself, probably, but if not, by something. I'm not saying it's going to be us, but by something. It's interesting that this guy keeps on relating these ideas to existing religious concepts. Yeah, but well, because he's sort of cribbing from those things and going, well, I, th I think he's trying to take the good ideas, f the, the good ideas he sees in these religions and take out the things that he finds distasteful. Are you talking about Yahweh or Rael? No, I'm talking about Rael and I'm only sp just speculating for myself. I've never read anything to that effect. Mm -hmm. He's certainly never said that, but... Um, there is an element of that, right? Like you're cherry picking all the most attractive uh, themes from these other religions. Mm -hmm. Now, if humanity can be vigilant and enlightened, it will transcend Earth and move beyond our own planet for the stars, just like the creators did all those years ago. 
So they're not coming to kill us. So that's great. Yeah, I mean, better than them coming to kill us. Yahweh then said that deistic religions, religions with gods at the center of them, are unavoidable for, quote, primitive societies. And But he's relating his own concepts to a deistic religion. Well, Buddhism isn't. Isn't there... I genuinely, I don't know. Aren't there gods? I don't think. I don't think so. Okay, so then, then I'm wrong on that. But certainly, with all the Judeo-Christian stuff, there is. But he says the Judeo-Christian stuff is just telling a warped, garbled version of the story of his people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Yahweh says that the creators and other space travelers, other species that like to travel the stars, are actually responsible for a lot of deistic religions because. The only way they have to interact with the locals when they want to visit, I don't know why they want to visit, but <laughs> the only way they have to interact with the locals is to pretend that they're gods. And he says, if you reach the stage where you become evolved visitors on primitive worlds, you will be forced to use such a system, which is in fact very amusing and involves passing yourself off as gods in their eyes. In fact, this is extremely easy since for primitive people, if you come from the sky, you can only be divine. Of course, you must lay it on a bit thick to be respected and pleasantly received, which does no harm. We continue to make appearances on Earth to see if this still works, and to see the reactions of public authorities, governments, and the press. We often amuse ourselves quite a lot. It so sounds he's, he's very fun. To pretend to be gods? I, yeah, I mean, I just don't understand why, why go through all the rigmarole. I mean, you're well, already an alien. It's not that much crazier than being a god. Well, and there's already so much, there's been so much talk about like, deistic religions are primitive. Humanity needs to move beyond deistic religions. They need to, um, this is the backwards way of thinking. And if you keep holding on to this way of thinking, you'll never achieve your, your um, potential, right? Mm-hmm. So then why are they introducing religious concepts? Why are they coming down and going, I'm Yahweh and I'm God. See you later. Write a Bible. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it that way and if the Bible and and all Bible stories are just warped versions of what their story is, then it's their fault that religion exists. Now, I haven't seen Rael draw this connection very firmly anywhere, but maybe... There's an unspoken element. The first time he tells this story, he, he you might remember, I mentioned something about how humanity, everyone back on the home world of the creators was like, don't give them the scientific knowledge though, because then they can rise up and kill us. Mm-hmm. So maybe like the religious version of the story is what they gave us to keep us in the dark. But he doesn't explicit, explicitly say that anywhere here. Hmm. I'm just trying to read into the El- the Elohim's uh, sure. motives here. Yeah. He tells right. He told Rael that there is intelligent life, organized life on both the infinitely small level and the infinitely large level. So the idea that your atoms carry are the stars of a solar system that supports complex civilizations. And meanwhile, our stars and planets are the pieces of the atoms of a giant being. It's pretty trippy. And they call that being the infinite. Actually, it's not clear whether there's like more than one level above us, but at some point you get to a being called the infinite. Um, But it's not God, 
because it can't affect us and we can't affect it. Hmm. It's very the Sandman. It is very the Sandman. I would almost call it mystical. For sure, it's mystical. And uh, Yahweh says, therefore, if we want to be happy at our level, we must live in harmony with this infinitely large level, the infinitely small, and with our fellow human beings. Pretty, pretty good, you know, just message, I guess. Well, I guess. What does it mean? What does it mean to be... Just be nice to everyone. Live in harmony. In harmony with the infinitely small, but I don't know what those guys are up to. I don't know. Just... Treat your body nice, because there might be a whole civilization in there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Yahweh then said that humanity would be much happier if, hey, guys, just try what we do on my planet. Robots should do all the labor, and then everybody's free to just think and be creative all the time. Like the Mandalorian. Yes, but again, on that civilization specifically, it goes badly. But, uh, yeah, but just for a little bit, and then they fix it. Yeah, but I think the implication is like we shouldn't shift all of our work onto these robots because it's it's going to break bad again at some point. But then the, again, the finale I think of the Mandalorian has him entrusting the little the little baby to a to a robot suit. So um, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe they're just spinning their wheels over there. <sighs> yeah. So Yahweh said that we needed to replace the three human. The three, like, current driving forces of our society, which he says are work, family, and country. He calls those primitive precepts that are used by brutes to exert control over their fellow man. And we need to replace them with fulfillment, freedom, and universal fraternity. Socialism? No, Carrie. (laughs) No, humanitarianism. Remember we drew the distinction last time. Yes, yes. Um, you're going to rent all your stuff from the government for 60 years at a time. or, or Oh, something. yes. That whole thing. Yahweh then said, and this follows on from him saying, hey, by the way, we're not going to kill humanity, even though I kind of said that last time. Uh, he clarified here that nonviolence is always better than violence, 100% of the time. And he points out that the modern French are not any worse off for the Gauls, the people who lived there in Roman times, having lost their wars for liberty against the conquering Romans. Well, I guess you could say that, but you have no idea what things would look like if they hadn't. No, that's true. So maybe it would be a bunch better. Maybe they would be ruling whatever right now. Yes, it's like he's saying nothing matters, but you're right. Since we can't see the other side of that sliding door, we have no idea what the consequence was of, the, of all those Gauls. By the way, Caesar killed like a million. He bragged about killing a million Gauls in that war. So it's yeah. like for a lot of people, it was everything. Right. Just because it isn't as big of a deal in the future doesn't mean it's catastrophic in the present or it's not catastrophic in the present. Right. A million people. Yeah. He brags about it. Well, that's Caesar. Finally, Yahweh adds that television is one of the most important inventions of humanity and one of the most important tools for the future. Remember, this is still 1975. Because television, he says, helps to bring people together. The most important aid you have to help you reach a long and lasting universal peace is television, the source of a genuine planetary awareness that makes it possible to see what goes on every day all over the globe and realize that the barbarians who live on the other side of the border have all the same joys, the same sorrows, and the same problems as yourselves. 
It also records the progress of science, the latest artistic creations, and so on. Of course, it is important to ensure that this wonderful tool of diffusion and communication does not fall into the hands of people who would use it to condition masses of people by providing biased information. And so we must create a home box office, and it will not be TV, it will be HBO. <laughs> I mean, he was right about that. Uh, if, if people had... are being indoctrinated and, in, in ways. And to your point, Carrie, TV. if Rael had written The Sopranos, I'd probably join the movement. <laughs> it would have been very different, I think. At this point, Rael was finally told that he wasn't actually on the creator's homeworld. This was, in fact... They keep on twisting and turning on him. I know. This is just a forward base, Yahweh says. Quote, relatively close to Earth. Mm -hmm. But he did note that their technology had gotten much faster in the couple of years since the last time they had seen each other, and the two-month journey home would now take mere moments. That's very fast, yes. So Rael gets sat down in another airlock. He feels the cold, prickly ice needle sensation again, this time for about 10 straight minutes. It seems unpleasant. And then Rael and the three aliens stepped out the door and onto another planet. Rael describes huge flowers, each more beautiful than the last, and animals of unimaginable appearance were walking among them. Now, these are, the, these are unimaginable animals, Carrie, things he can't even imagine. There were birds with multicolored plumage and pink and blue squirrels with the heads of bear cubs climbing in the branches of trees that bore both enormous fruits and gigantic flowers. Like, you already mentioned gigantic flowers. <laughs> well, the trees have them too. All right, so he's walking through Lucy in the Sky with diamonds mm. at this point, plasticine porters with looking glass ties. Mm -hmm. Bear-headed rainbow squirrels. I would, it's just not very visionary imagery. Pink and blue squirrels, and they have the heads of, uh, uh, what's not like a squirrel? Bears. They have the heads of bears. Birds with multicolored plumage. Can you imagine? I would sooner believe that Paul McCartney has been to another planet. I, he, he has, in a way. He said the creator's buildings looked like multicolored shells. Their, their homes were like giant, different colored uh, seashells. And it was uh, these that he was led toward through the perfectly mild temperature and the air that smelled like a million flowers no matter where you went. In the clearing at the top of the hill, there was a group of about 40 people who Rael said didn't look like Elohim. They looked like earthlings. They looked like people whose features he, he recognized. And they were all pretty much naked. Uh, Yahweh, by the way, says that it, basically, everyone's naked on this planet all the time. Some people are, are more comfortable in, in like sheer robes. We're just groovy, man. They're just very groovy. And Yahweh at this point mentions that relationships are way better on his planet since, you know, everyone can just have a human sex robot side piece if they want. It's totally cool. Um, Rael is then ushered to a stone armchair for his dinner. So they haven't invented comfort yet, I assume. Uh, that's... <laughs> Well, no, he says it's very comfortable. There's there's mm. warm furs that stay at the perfect temperature throughout his meal, spread on the uh, the stone, and he says it's very nice. As soon as he sat down, beautiful servants, male and female, all naked, obviously, come out of a cave with trays piled high with cooked meats, fruit, and drinks. So like an orgy menu, basically. 
and uh, okay one would imagine yeah and, yeah wait, i don't know and all these nude girls started putting on a dancing show for everybody do they look like humans naked yes interesting so we, we got we got bareheaded squirrels but titties be titties that is correct and <laughs> while he was dining Rael looked around and he uh, started to recognize a few of the faces around the table because he was now sitting with the 40 previous prophets, including Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Muhammad, and Joseph Smith. And we'll check in with those guys um, after the break. I think it's break time. We'll we'll finish off Rael's travels in the stars and get to the Raelian movement here on Earth after the break. All righty. The episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie that you're currently chewing on is brought to you by NeuroGum. Hey, Carrie here. Have you heard of Neuro? It's a gum developed by former athletes training at the highest level who didn't want to take mysterious supplements or energy drinks when studying, training, or going out. Instead of something sugary and ineffective, they wanted to create clean, balanced energy that could be taken anywhere, anytime without the jittery crash. Now, if you know me, you know I love a buzzy boost when I start to drag. Trying NeuroGum's energy and focus formula was a revelation. It both energized me and helped me focus, which is pretty necessary when drowning in research about crimes from over a century ago. Energy and focus is specially formulated with natural caffeine, L-theanine, and B vitamins to sustain the mental endurance necessary to maintain focus. But that's not the only option. Neuro also offers calm and clarity and health and vitality formulas if those are your primary concerns. Of course, with my sleepy self, energy and focus was the natural pick to test out. Go to our sponsor link at www.tryneurogum.com slash ain't it scary to get up to 30% off of your order and enjoy energy, calm, and focus whenever you need it. There's also a link in our episode description. That's tryneurogum.com slash ain't it scary and let them know Sean and Carrie sent you. Thanks for the clean burst of energy and focus, Neurogum. Welcome back. When last we left you, Rael had just taken a trip to the home world of the Elohim, a home world whose name he hasn't said and won't say uh, at any point in this book. You know, maybe they just call it home, you know, man? <laughs> yeah, Earth is Earth, man. But when we last left Rael, he was uh, hanging out in a stone armchair with Jesus, Elijah, and Muhammad. Um, they wa- all walked into a bar. Watching a bunch of naked girls dancing and uh, eating cooked meat and, and fruit. Mm-hmm. And it was toward the end of the meal that his guide told him, explained to him, really, that 8,400 Earth people, 8,400 human beings lived on his planet, along with 700 members of the Council of the Eternals, the original creators, forever. So I don't know where we got to at this point, where we started with a whole planet of creator people, but I guess they have now migrated to a new planet that they want to live on just with their favorite Earth people. All the big names. 
All the big names. Jesus is there. Again, Joseph Smith, for some reason, gets a mention. Is that is that Shaq? Is that Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal? In the, yeah, see if you can beat me at eating this meat. <laughs> I wouldn't dare, Shaq. Uh, oh, and he also tells Rael that the servants and the dancing girls in front of him are all, quote, biological robots. They are basically clone people who are grown with no will of their own. They are human beings, but they don't have any willpower or personalities. Cool. Yeah. And he says every person on this planet has, on average, 10 human robot slaves who are produced, quote, taken care of, and, quote, destroyed underground by other human robots. This seems problematic. Yeah, it's 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 pretty weird and pretty rough. Uh, but he's psyched about it, and Rael doesn't <laughs> seem to have any problem with it. Yahweh brings him to one of the machines that makes the people, mm-hmm. and he creates a man in like a couple of seconds, and goes like, "Here, here you go. If you want him, he sings a song about it. I can make you a man." A man. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Frank. And then he grows Rael's mother, Oh, also in a couple of seconds. Okay. And those two people they just made are presumably just destroyed because they go away forever. They disappear from the narrative. And then they prick Rael between the eyes. He just grows his mom and then throws him in the, her in the garbage? Yeah. Well, it was just a, a robot. Okay. I mean, they keep saying robot, but they also keep saying these are definitely biological people. Okay. Uh- Okay. So they prick Rael between the eyes. Yahweh just stabs him with a little needle. Mm. And one of the scientists takes that. And then in seconds, they grow another Rael. And this one, Yahweh is like, yeah, so if you died, we could just put your personality in this. Isn't it great? But don't worry. We're going to destroy this one immediately so we avoid confusion. Okay. Um, He then showed Rael another machine. And Yahweh said that this machine, I love this, because one of the nice things about this religion so far is that there's no hell, right? Uh, I didn't even think about that, Sean. Yahweh showed Rael another machine that he explained contained the cells of people from Earth who had preached, quote, violence, wickedness, aggressiveness, and obscurantism, so that they could be cloned just to be punished. Yahweh said, they will be recreated to undergo the punishment they deserve after being judged by those whom they made to suffer or by their ancestors or descendants. Yeah, we need to really settle on who's doing the judging because this seems like a system that could be exploited. Yeah, but by those they've made to suffer or Or their ancestors or their descendants. Or my neighbor Bob, you know, whatever. Anyone who's been granted sort of a special power of attorney, but then the forms are really easy to fill that one out. You don't need a notary or anything. So, yeah, it's going to get out of control. Mm Mm-hmm. Rael was then flown. They gave him a belt that just flew him away to his next destination. And he was flown to his own scallop shell house oh nice and there yahweh let him pick a woman to create to create yeah they went back to the people machine but what do you mean pick a woman to create Uh, they had like six ideal female types that you could choose from and then modify however you wanted hey you like redheads exactly yikes 
Um, do you? I mean, do you want the full description of the process of choosing the woman? Obviously, I do. Okay. I was shown to an armchair facing the cube and given a helmet. When I had settled down, a magnificent young brunette with marvelously harmonious proportions appeared three-dimensionally within the luminous cube. She moved in such a way as to show herself off, and had she not been in a cube floating one meter above the ground, I would have thought she was real. My robot asked me whether she pleased me, and if I wished to have her shape altered or her face modified. I told him I considered her perfect. He replied that, aesthetically speaking, she was the ideal woman, or rather, one of the three types of ideal women, as defined by the computer according to the taste of the majority of residents on the planet. But I could ask for any modification I desired. At my refusal to change anything whatsoever about that magnificent creature, a second woman, this time blonde and alluring, appeared in the luminous cube. She was different, but just as perfect as the first one. With her, I could not find anything to alter either. Finally, a third young female, this one a redhead. Of more course. I bet they're all white too, huh? They are. But Interesting. A redhead, more sensual than the first two, appeared in the strange cube. The robot asked me if I cared to see other models or if these three ideal types of my race would be enough for me. I answered quite naturally that I thought these three people were extraordinary. At that moment, a magnificent black woman appeared in the cube, then a very fine, slender Chinese female, and then finally another voluptuous young Asian woman. The robot asked me which person I desired to have as a companion. Since I answered that they all pleased me, he went toward the robot-making machine and spoke for a moment with one of his peers. Hey, we got something kind of non-standard here. <laughs> yeah, give him a thrill. Then the machine was set in motion, and I understood what was about to happen. A few minutes later, I was back at my residence with my six companions. Oh, Jesus. There I had the most unforgettable bath that I have ever had, in the, car in the company of those charming robots, totally submissive to all my desires. Uh. And this is their Bible. I mean, this is a pretty groovy religion. Yeah, that's one word for it. So, Aww. yeah. Um, so the next day, after what uh, I guess is the best night of his life, because he has these six robot sex slaves. I just don't, yeah, I don't like that he makes a point to be like, and they were totally submissive, and it was the best. Yes. I loved that. I agree. It's very off-putting. Yes. Um, so the next day... He had basically a VR headset put on him that, quote, awakened his dormant faculties, which would give Rael enhanced abilities and would allow the Elohim to see through his eyes for the rest of his days. And then uh, Yahweh revealed that the Jews were the direct descendants of the Elohim. He's okay. half Jewish. Okay. Wait, Yahweh is? Or Rael is? Rael is. Okay. And Yahweh says that Jewish people have had such hard luck over the years because of the inherited sins of their fathers who created them by banging their own creations. So the, he says Jewish people are the direct descendants of the Elohim in the literal sense because the Elohim made people and then some of them, they were like, oh, these are really hot though. I can't not have sex with you. And then they accidentally made, but those were the Jewish people were the, were the most beautiful ones. So um, Anyhow, that's all part of this. But he says the time... <laughs> so that's a thing. He says the time of the Jewish people is coming, and that is why it is imperative that the embassy for the Elohim that we mentioned should be built in Israel. Okay. That's part of this, too. Okay. 
And then he gave Rael some new commandments to hand down. This is to add to the... Um, this is like a really stacked trip. I'm exhausted already. Oh, I know. We're almost done. Don't this worry. This sounds like our itinerary for Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Yahweh now said that all followers must present themselves physically to Rael at some point in their lives. Quote, so that he may transmit your cellular plan through manual contact or have it transmitted by an initiated guide to the computer that will take this into account at your life's assessment hour of judgment. What do you mean present physically? Like you have to go see Rael so he can take a little sem- sample of your DNA to be stored in the Elohim's computer on the Paradise Planet until Judgment Day. Mm. Mm-hmm. The followers must think at least once a day about your creators, the Elohim, radiate their message by all possible means, these next two get a little harder. At least once a year, donate at least 1% of your income directly to Rael himself so he can keep on <laughs> preaching. Of course. Yeah, tithe it up. Well, he's got to get so he, so he can live. Yeah. Uh-huh. And at least once a year, invite Rael into your home and let him invite over whoever he wants, as many people as he wants, so he can preach the message. Hmm. Finally, Yahweh noted for Rael that he was the last of the prophets before the judgment. Rael spent a little more time hanging out with Jesus and the boys. He had another (laughs) dinner. And then it was back to the flying saucer, and he was home by midnight. But that night, he would stay up until dawn, breathlessly writing down everything that had happened and that he'd been told. And then he found himself continuing to write, writing out a new code of living which he says are the keys to infinite possibility, wisdom for the human race channeled straight from the Elohim. And the keys are geneocracy, which we talked about last week, mm-hmm. only, only people of a certain IQ as determined by the Elohim uh, should be able to vote, and only people who are really smart by that measure should um, hold office. Mm-hmm. Second is sexual liberty, including, and Yahweh goes on for some, or no, not Yahweh himself. Rael goes on at length about sexual and sensual education from a young age, which has made a lot of people very uncomfortable over the years with this whole uh, part of the of the movement. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that like kids shouldn't be ashamed of their bodies and... Um, it shouldn't be like shameful that that sex feels good, and you should basically tell kids like, "Hey, sex is good. That that thing on your body's for feeling good." Mm-hmm. Um, you can see why people get uncomfortable with that. Yes, they also say no death penalty. Following kind of on from that, they say nonviolence is always the correct answer to every situation. Always better than violence. The Raelian movement loves sports and games. Those are great things because they bring pleasure. Mm-hmm. But they say gambling is bad because now you're doing the game for something besides the fun of it. And they also say drugs and alcohol are bad. No drugs and alcohol. What about sports that are violent, like football? The sports they have are super violent. Yes. Remember they oh, said yes, the, yes. The sports were super violent and you weren't allowed medical attention yes, if you, you participated. Yes, you sign a little form or something. Yeah, so that's where people die in their society is in sports so that they don't have to have wars. Uh-huh. 
but also always choose nonviolence. <laughs> I, you know. Uh, and finally, the last one of those keys says that telepathy must be encouraged in young children uh, at every chance possible and from a young age. And if you're having trouble channeling your own latent telepathic powers, Rael says you just need to meditate every day and ideally learn his methods of meditation, which uh, are proven, Carrie, for pulling out people's telepathic uh, abilities. Mm-hmm. Oh, another quick telepathy tip. Please. Never shave your head or face. Why? Because hairs are like uh, psychic antennas for telepathy. <laughs> and people, Rael says like... Isn't he bald on top? He it, Well, it's a receding hairline. He has a thick mane. I, I would say the forest is thick, Carrie, but, uh, but there's a lot of beach. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Rael says, if it grows, there is a reason. And he notes that, you know, there are some people without a beard or with, with no hair who can... Te- telepathically communicate but it's pretty rare and it's it's helpful to have a lot of hair on your head mm-hmm. and face mm-hmm. now oh and then he did release a third book let's welcome the extraterrestrials but it doesn't add on to the story at all it's mostly <laughs> let's welcome the ex- yeah let's-, let's welcome the extraterrestrials show the extraterrestrials <laughs> what they won bob <laughs> that- a sex robot that book is mostly FAQ and direct responses to critiques he's gotten over the years about the Raelian movement, and then a series of essays from real Raelians. Like, here's a perspective from a former priest, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Raelian movement is very hierarchical, hierarchical as an organization. There's levels of guides. This will sound familiar to... Um, Many smaller religious practices we've looked at, Carrie. I don't want to use the C word. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got your guide of guides, who is Rael. Right. And then you've got bishop guides below Rael. You have priest guides below the bishop guides. You have animators below the priest guides. Then assistant animators. Then probationers. And then everyone else in the church is a worshiper. Mm-hmm. Members of the church are supposedly encouraged, not forced no there's no enforcement mechanism at all but they're encouraged to tithe about 10 percent of their yearly earnings to the church to the church not just directly to rail right the yahweh in in the book does say that they should tithe one percent of their earnings to rail personally so that he can live and preach the method the message um but what the structure of the organization says is they'd like you to tithe 10 percent of your yearly earnings which uh, it sounds like about 3% of that will be kept by the national branch for their administrative costs. 7% will go to uh, the central authority of the church with 1% being kept for Ryle personally. Mm-hmm. So that's supposedly so the breakdown. Do we have any idea of how much he does profit? No. The profit profits? No. Even Palmer doesn't ever really get a good sense of that. He's very protective of this information, obviously. And um, yeah, so I don't know. But does it seem like he's doing all right? Just skating by on tides? I'll say this. He hasn't built that embassy yet. Mm. But maybe that's because they've been spending their money on other projects, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, just one other organizational thing, kind of, they're kind of famous for Rael's angels. Um, <laughs> is that, that like Charlie's angels? So, uh, well, sort of. 
this is an order introduced by Rael in 1998 on the instruction of the Elohim. And the Order of Rael's Angels is a group for just women, Raelian women, that trains them, quote, to receive the extraterrestrials when they land, to act as hostesses, companions, and lovers to the alien visitors. Why do they have to be women? Because the aliens are straight dudes, I guess. They're all dudes? There are no women aliens? Uh, I don't know, but they only want women here. I think it's because he talks about the women's natural openness of spirit. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and how they're, they're just better hosts than men, basically. But, but uh, I should point out, there's earlier texts where he says men and women are completely the same. Mm-hmm. So this runs counter to that. But anyway, only women can be Rael's angels. Rael says these women are the only humans who will be allowed contact with the Elohim after they land. And according to Time Magazine... Bridget Bosselier, who you'll hear more about in a moment, originally came from the ranks of the Angels before she ran Clone Aid for the Raelian movement. Clone Aid? Yeah. Clone Aid. And what is that, Sean? <laughs> uh, in early 1997, Carrie, the International Raelian Movement announced that it was launching a company to study and develop human cloning. As you might imagine, this caused an international news stir. Uh, this is the group at its probably the peak of membership, I would imagine, but also certainly the peak of fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was much hand-wringing in the news over the f- f- failure of the U.S. government to legislate and regulate hu- human cloning before someone got there, you know? I don't think they got there. Well, what makes you say that? Starting a company doesn't mean you know how to clone. I could start a company about cloning. That doesn't mean I can do it. It doesn't mean they don't know how to clone. Okay, Sean. Incorporating Valiant Venture Limited in the Bahamas, Rael announced that he expected a million customers for their cloning services. And he set in place as CEO, as I said, Bridget Bosselier, a Quebecois Raelian with two PhDs in chemistry. Hmm. In September 2000, Vorion, Rael, that is, announced from a Montreal hotel that a wealthy American couple had offered CloneAid $1.5 million to clone their dead 10-month-old daughter. Oh, God. Yeah, he was really excited about it, though. I mean, Okay. Um, and then, in, that couple's identity was never revealed. I mean, if it's a real story, it's just sad if they believed in this. Over two years later, on December 27th, 2002, Bosselier announced at a Hollywood press conference that a mother had given birth by C-section to the first cloned human baby somewhere outside the U.S. She wouldn't be specific on where, uh, possibly for legal reasons. Mm-hmm. CloneAid's claims were widely criticized by everyone from George W. Bush to the Vatican. Because, mm. again, this was the era of, like, a lot of hand-wringing about uh, playing God and stuff with when they were cloning Dolly the sheep. Yes. But also by scientists pointing out that there was no proof or, indeed, evidence of any kind that any cloning had taken place. Mm-hmm. The company claimed Eve, which was the baby's name, had gone home with her mother on December 30th. And then a Florida attorney filed suit 
saying like, well, if this kid's out there, she, we, we, we need to investigate who, who she belongs to. We need to appoint a temporary guardian for this cloned child. <laughs> um, and Boisselier testified under oath in connection with this that there really was a child and that she was in Israel, but she offered no evidence to support that. I mean, there are lots of children in Israel. You can testify that till the cows come home. Well, Carrie, according to CloneAid, four more human clones would be born in the next few weeks. In January 2003, Rael claimed a Dutch lesbian couple had given birth to the second clone. And later that month, another cloned baby was claimed by CloneAid's Japanese team. Mm. As of 2004, June 2004, which is, uh, I think, the last time CloneAid appeared in the news, Boisselier was claiming that CloneAid had produced 13 cloned children to date. And then just stopped there, I guess. There's never been any evidence of any of the clones. Interesting. But that's what they're working on. Um, Now, CloneAid has gotten a lot of coverage over the years. You can read some, some fun articles about clonade since this doesn't get nearly as much coverage i will mention that boisselier was later put in charge of clitorade <laughs> oh is that like gatorade for your clit it is a rielian project to fund clitoral reconstruction surgeries in countries where female genital mutilation is a common problem okay now i feel bad making a joke and you should because as because t- that is a good thing to do as of 2022 clitorate claims to have provided restorative <laughs> the name they claim to have provided restorative surgery to over 550 women well i hope that's true i don't who knows there's exactly as much evidence uh that's been given to me for this as the babies. but at least that's something possible <laughs> and and positive uh, yes. uh, unreservedly positive they've been trying to open a genital hospital in burkina faso or at least they claim to have been trying to do that, um, since 2014 when they say the Catholic Church interfered to prevent the opening. Why would the Catholic Church care unless they were having clones at the hospital too? Um, Maybe because, well, you don't know if the Rielians were starting a a children's clitoral reconstruction hospital, how much, you know, sexual education was going to be happening there. Uh, And just... The Raelians in the Catholic Church have a lot of things that don't... Mesh. Mesh, especially with regard to sexuality. Hmm. Tangentially related, uh, the Raelians also started No Pedo. <laughs> yeah, it sure is tangential. They love these all-caps organization names, and this one's There's N-O-P-E-D-O. So many. No Pedo. I mean... Just like Rael, it's right to the point. Um, that's a Raelian group that, that really, they had some pretty big protests in the early 2000s. Uh, Rael launched this in the year 2000, which uh, they mostly protested Catholic clergy, distributed leaf- leaflets, um, it basically went to places where European pederast priests were being moved from uh, parish to parish and making a big stink. Um, they've also been known to protest in favor of condoms, in favor of the right uh, of women to go topless. Do you remember that um, Go Topless Day protest a couple of years back? Yeah, in New York. Yeah, the Raelians were heavily involved in that hmm. global movement. Um, they protest in favor of human cloning and genetically modified foods. Basically, if you put the word science in front of it, Raelians are like, yeah, we love it. 
And also boobs. And also boobs. Yeah, it's interesting because they have they have some good ideas. You know, they have some things that are positive and good. I am a pacifist. I don't believe in the death penalty. I think boobs are great. But then it there are certain things that are just... Mm, little uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. And also, I'm still... Well, we can talk about it in a second. Let, let, me, let me finish the narrative here. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, I'm saying this based on testimonies I've read at Raelian.org. And Raelian.org is different from Rael.org, which is the Raelian's um, homepage. Raelian.org is made up of former members of the Raelian movement. Mm. Uh, including a testimony I read from a guy named Mark Woodgate that did its best to explain why the movement had started losing crazy amounts of followers in 2009-2010. Again, according to him. Woodgate says that a few books by the French writer Jean Sandy or Jean Sandy, S-E-N-D-Y, were translated to English and found their way in front of some U.S. Raelians. Sandy was a multilinguist who mostly made his living translating works from one language to another, in and out of French. But he wrote some stuff on, like, esoterica and UFO phenomenon. And his 1968 book, The Moon, The Key to the Bible, proposes... Now, uh, follow me on this, Carrie. This is not what Rael says. This is what Sandy says. That Elohim is plural, so it probably means aliens from the sky and not God. And Genesis is a literal account of ancient astronauts who have created life on Earth. And they have uh, chemical education and cloning. And they think we should run our world with a geniocracy and a moneyless society. Sounds familiar. Yeah. So this was written in 1968. And uh, Mark Woodgate claims that Sandy gave a lecture in Rael's hometown. Oh, so he's saying Rael poached all of this. Cribbed all of this from this guy's book. Oh. He says Sandy gave a lecture in Rael. This is hearsay. But he says that Sandy gave a lecture in Rael's hometown just a few months before his first supposed encounter with Yahweh. Mm, Escondolo. Yeah. So a lot of, um, I guess a lot of... Raelians were really offended by this, uh, by these plagiarism concerns, plagiarism concerns, mm-hmm. but not by the rest of it. I don't know. Um, that is it, Carrie. That's... So, so how old is Rael now? What's he up to? Oh, he is in his seventies. Still moving and grooving with his six sex robots. Let me think. Hold on. 1946. He'll be 80 in 2026, which makes him 77. All right. And I believe he's still uh, he's still out there doing it. He's still. Uh, I, I've seen videos of of him at Raelian um, conferences, at least in the last couple of years. So um, still out there preaching. Hey, you, you want to talk about peace and love? Ringo Starr ain't got shit on this guy. <laughs> peace and love, peace and love. It's all peace and love for Rael. Um, Carrie, my biggest takeaway is I still think, I think this, I, I, I think these people seem very nice. I like that they're nonviolent. I like that they like sex. Um, <laughs> okay. 
I think they fail at the goal of this project, which was to re- take remove mysticism. mysticism. Yeah, I mean, th- it still requires a degree of faith. It's still relating directly to ideas in religions. And what questions are you actually answering? Because if the question of where did we come from is, well, some other human beings came in spaceships and made us. Who made them? Yeah, I think that still poses the question of who made them. I mean, it might be where do we go if it's, you know, you get reincarnated into a robot, bio-robot with your DNA on some other planet. Yeah, let's talk about that. So so you're supposed to present yourself at some point to Rael. Yeah, and he takes a little sample. Mm -hmm. But he does specify, similar to like, well, what happens to unbaptized babies? Um, He says that even if you don't, if you haven't had the chance to hear the good word of the alien masters, and you don't get a chance to get to Rael and have him take a sample of your DNA, don't worry. Because the aliens already have you in their computer and they're watching you every day to make sure that you're living up to their vision for humanity. So why would you bother going to see Rael? How is it different from God? It's not. None of it is. Like, like the, it's, 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 if you let your eyes water and cross a little bit and look at all of this a little bit blurry, it just is Christianity. Yes, just with aliens instead of angels. And sex robots. That's definitely different. But again, they're not robots. They're it's so much worse than that and grosser. That's the that's the most uncomfortable part so far. And also just you know, who decides who goes to robot hell and also who decides who's the smartest and who's able to have rights, you know, that that kind of stuff is blurry. But uh, you know, the pacif- pacifism Pro sex education. Um, that's all groovy. I'm up I'm up for that. It's just some of it is I don't know. I'm not too sure about some of it. I don't know. Get at us, Raelians. Explain some of this. <laughs> don't, don't. We we respect you. Um we just we have some questions, that's all. Yeah, where can I get some of those cooked meats? Well, I'm glad you want the cooked meats and not the sex robots. That makes me much happier. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. No news this week. We're exhausted. (laughs) Um, But we're very excited to come on back two Thursdays from now and um, and bring you some more great content. So we're going to take next week off. There'll be no new episode next Thursday. And then the Thursday after that, which I believe is the 25th of May, Mm. um, we'll be back with a new episode. So... Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. Well, we we're technically going somewhere, but we're coming back. We are coming back. And I I think I think the next one you hear is going to be the last one from the old house. That's what I think. Yeah, I think so. So ah, so many memories, so many good times here in the crypt, but now it's time to move to the mausoleum. Can't wait for that new 
podcast smell. And literally, we're going to have to paint the podcast studio, so we are going to be high on paint fumes for at least a couple of weeks. You know what? That might really kick up our numbers. <laughs> It'll kick up something. We might end up taking a, a trip to another planet and having, you know, dinner with Jesus or something. Bunch of bareheaded squirrels running around. With tangerine trees <laughs> and marmalade skies. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google Voice number 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And special thanks to those of you already joining us on our top couple of Patreon tiers, our little Patreon family. Mm-hmm. Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Aussie Sean Downs, Ryan, Enrique, and Derek. We love you guys. Absolutely. See you Thursday after next. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.